You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, my name is Todd Wright. I'm the worship pastor here at the South Campus. Uh, if you were here at the beginning, I'd mentioned that um, Ross is, uh, is out of the country on a mission trip. And so... Very privileged to to preach in his in his place. Um, a great text in Galatians. So uh, I'll go ahead and tell you a couple things. Um, so first of all, there's a lot to do in Galatians five one through fifteen. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. In fact, on Monday uh, we went on Facebook and we mentioned this, made a little video uh, to to tell everybody we were going to be doing Galatians five one through fifteen, and we asked folks on Facebook to go ahead and read it ahead of time. Uh, and send in any questions because there's a lot of stuff in the text that's a little weird, a little strange, and we were curious as to you know what people thought. You know, what, when you read it, what sort of questions pop up in your mind? I was curious. Uh, did anybody read Galatians five one through fifteen based on the Facebook thing? Okay, that's why I didn't get any emails in. Great, 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 great. Um, so there's a lot to do. There's a lot in Galatians. I think it's going to be good for us. It's been good for me to study it this week. Um, and I want to be a good steward of the time, so I don't want to bore you, but I also don't want to uh, talk like a crazy person and frustrate you, okay? And so I'm going to aim to do those things. However, if I do either of those things, please don't email me and tell me I was boring or that I talked too much. Like, just send me a God bless you text or email, and I'll know what you mean. And just, I just, my ego is very fragile. Just, just love me as your brother and... Uh, and and uh, I don't know if I can handle mean emails. So um, so we're in Galatians 5, 1 through 15. So we've been in this series in Galatians called Don't Be Fooled. And specifically the past few weeks, Galatians has really opened up into this beautiful lesson on freedom. It's been talking about our freedom in Christ. And if you've been here the past few weeks, you've, you've seen that. If you haven't been, I encourage you to hit up iTunes, our sermon podcast, uh, to catch up. It's a great way to kind of come in on a Sunday and know what we're talking about. We're also live streaming the sermons uh, on video that are on the website. And so if you haven't been here the past few weeks, I, I think you'll be able to track just fine with what we're doing. But the podcast is a great way to kind of find out what's going on. So the, the, there's something initially um, about Galatians 5, 1 through 15 that, can, that might catch us off guard a little bit. So as we ended Galatians 4 last week, we got more of that. You're free in Christ. You're free in Christ. And Galatians seems to be doing this thing where it's like, Shouting at us, hey, you're free. Remember, you're free. You're free. You're free. It's, it's making it clear to us that we're free. And then we hit Galatians 5 and we start to get these warnings, these sort of cautionary messages um, that sound a little dire. They sound a little, a little dark. And so, um, so what we want to do is we want to dive into the text and let God teach us from his word. Now, I will tell you, that you've probably been in churches before, you've probably heard sermons before, <clears throat> wherein the preacher or the person teaching um, came up with an outline, you know, kind of came up with some points and then plugged the verses in under those to sort of support or prove uh, what they, they were saying. And at Bethel, we do the inverse of that, okay? Um, when we go to the Bible, we just dive right into the text. And so we read and read and read, um, because we have faith that God's going to 
show us things. And so, so as we read today, as we study God's word, you're going to find that we're, we're going to be in it for a while. And then occasionally I'm going to kind of, I'll, I'll kind of step out and, and, and talk about what, what I believe God is trying to tell us in that section. Okay. So, so you'll get some sort of recap or summation, but our goal is to dive into the text and let the, let God's word teach us. Right. So hopefully you're not hearing what Todd thinks you're hearing, what actually God says. And so before we jump into it, one other kind of thing that's a heads up here. Galatians 5 is a difficult passage. So this 1 through 15 is a difficult passage. In fact, if this afternoon you started Googling and started looking at Bible commentaries, uh, this text sometimes is, is not really developed very much. I mean, there's good stuff in it, but it's a lot, okay? And it's, it's a lot, and you have to work at it a little bit. You've got to engage your mind, and you've got to read, and you've got to be prayerful. And so I want to give you a heads up about something that happens almost as soon as we start this text. And, and you'll see it in a minute. But the first thing is you're going to hear something that's a little confusing, almost from the very beginning, something that might confuse us. And so when we hit that, we'll stop and we'll talk about it. And then as soon as we kind of process that and work through that, then you hit something that's kind of awkward. And so we'll stop for a second and, and we'll kind of work through the awkwardness together, okay? Uh, because, I, because I think the text is great for us, but, but it's going to take a little work. We're going to do some work today. Hopefully it'll be a blessing to you and fun for you today to get into God's Word. All right, so Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is it. So, so we end Galatians 4 last week with Ross proclaiming freedom and, and God wrecking our lives with his grace. And then 5 1 starts and it says, It's for freedom Christ has set you free. It's in there twice. It's a, it's a little odd. But as we look at it, we know that the, those of us who know Jesus know that. Christ comes, he's come, he's laid down his life, he's shed his blood, he's died for your sins, he's been put in a grave and he's been raised from the dead, the victor over death and the grave, to set you free. And, and Galatians 5.1 says, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Christ has set you free so that you can live in freedom. So basically, Christ sets you free, you're supposed to live like it, okay? Set you free... Live in freedom. But then we hit this thing, this back half of verse 1, and this is the confusing part, where it says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This is why that's confusing. Because you can read that, and you can think, Ah, this this feels like it's saying I can lose my salvation. feels like I'm saying that Christ set me free, but then I can turn around and become a slave again. Now, as we read the text, I believe that's not what Paul's saying. And I think that God and by his spirit will teach us that. But that is a little confusing. Okay, so let's just call it for what it is. Now, I will tell you that my inclination when I read that, so I was reading it this week, I thought, man, that does really sound like we can lose our salvation. And is that what people are going to think? And how do we do that? And I will tell you that, that as, as I read the text, my first inclination to disprove that, to say, oh, no, 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 Paul's not saying that, was this. So if Paul was really saying that, let's just operate under that premise for just a second. That verse 1, he's saying, hey, Christ set you free, but guess what? You can do something that makes you not free anymore. If we were to operate from that premise, um, Paul never really talks about that in the text. So if he was saying something that big and that heavy, 
you would assume that he's going to unpack that a little bit. And, and what about the blood of Jesus? And what about his resurrection? And so Paul doesn't really ever talk about that. And I will be honest with you, my first inclination was like, oh, well, that proves it. He, he doesn't even talk about it anymore. That must mean he doesn't mean we can lose our salvation. But then I realized that is a poor way to read God's Word. So you, we can't go to God's Word and start basing a bunch of belief on stuff that's not in there. Okay? It's just a poor way to do it. I think I'm right that he's not saying we can lose our salvation. But we have to go at it. We have to look at the text. And so we're going to hit these verses in a second. But I just want to tell you, as we go through, Paul is going to begin to sort of confirm that over and over as to what he's talking about. Just for example, in verse 1, he's already said you're set free. Uh, In a little bit, we'll read verse 5 that says, Through the Spirit, by our faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Verse 10 says, I have confidence you'll take no other view. Verse uh, 13 says, you were called to freedom. I think it makes a good case that, that Paul's talking to Christians. Even though he's saying some heady stuff, even though he's giving some warnings, it's going to be evident to you that he's talking to believers, and he's, he's warning them against something, all right? So, so what Paul is talking about here, as he, he begins to tell us, he, he is telling us that, 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 you know, walking in freedom, yes, Christ sets you free, but there's this yoke, there's this thing that, that you can submit yourself back into, and it's not, a, it's not an accident that he says yoke. So as we, as we look at what times were like back then in an agrarian agricultural world, The yoke was this heavy piece of wood that you would put on an animal, right? And you would put on an animal, it was heavy, where it would stay on the animal, you would strap the yoke to the animal, and then you would use that to tie to a plow or a a big stone if you were going to move it. It was a burden. It was this thing that would, so heavy, it would stay on the ox or the mule or whatever you had it on. In fact, we call a lot of of those animals to this day beasts of burden. That's kind of a phrase that we used to use, that there was this heavy burden That's on them. And so Paul is giving us a warning. And he's saying, don't forget, Christ has set you free. He wants you to live like it. He wants you to be freedom. But there is this thing. There is this thing that you can put on that's going to weigh you down. And it's going to be a burden on you. And you, when you are burdened, you are not free. So Paul's going to talk to us about that. He's going to warn us about what that is. So look at verse 2 and 3. It says, look. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Remember when I said it was going to get awkward, right? I kind of warned you about that. So we go from this verse about freedom and not submitting to slavery, and then we're talking about circumcision. Now, if you grew up in church, maybe, but even so... You probably, unless you've had a boy child in the last month, you've probably not thought much. You don't think much about circumcision on the daily, okay? I don't. You probably don't either, okay? And so there is this, it is a little bit of a surprise. There's this awkward thing of Paul saying, don't go into the yoke of slavery. And by the way, uh, if you accept circumcision, uh, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's a, it feels like it's a little bit out of left field. Like, wait, what, what's the deal with Circumcision. It, it seems pretty serious because Paul tells the Galatians that, that Christ is no advantage to them if they do this. And so I want to just give you some context of what's going on. And so Ross has talked about this a little bit, but I want to make sure we all understand that as Paul is 
pastoring and teaching and writing letters to the Galatians, there is a group known as the agitators. They were called Judaizers. And they were, they were not down with Paul, okay? And they, they were trying to sort of undercut Paul and, and try to spread rumors about him. And they had this thing about circumcision. They really, really liked circumcision. Now, there, there were other things that they held to. Um, some people believe they even had a very special diet that they kept. But, but the thing that they were telling the Galatians was, oh, 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 oh. don't forget, though, if you want to be in God's good graces, if you want to be committed to God, if you want to be in fellowship with God, you have to be circumcised. And the Galatians were listening to this. Now, you may think, well, what's the deal with circumcision? Circumcision was something that we see in the Bible from almost the very, very beginning. If you go back to Genesis, if you go back to the Old Testament, here's what you'll see that happens quite a lot. That when God makes a promise to his people, makes a covenant with his people, it happens a lot in the Old Testament, that when he makes a covenant, there's very often a sign. There's a, there's a signifier. There's, a, there's something to, to look at and to remember. So Genesis 9 has this, when Noah's built the ark and he's... And the waters, the floods have finally dissipated. And, and, and God comes to, to Noah and he says, I make this promise to you that I will never again destroy the world with water. It's what he promises Noah. And then as a sign, God puts a rainbow in the sky. And he says, this is, this is a sign uh, of the covenant that I am making with you. It's a, it's a signifier. It's a marker. And the sign that the Judaizers were all about was circumcision because just a few chapters later we talked about this last week in in genesis 17 god comes to abraham and he says abraham i'm going to bless you i'm going to give you kids and their kids are going to have kids and their kids are going to have kids and i'm going to birth a whole nation from you i am going to bless you and in genesis 17 9 through 11 this is what he says and god said to abraham as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Not trying to be crass. I'm not trying to be rude, but God tells Abraham, Abraham, I literally want you to carve a sign into your body. I want you to take a blade and I want you to cut into your body and I want you to carry with you on your body at all times this sign to remind you that I've made a promise to you and you're going to be faithful to me. And that your obedience in that and the, and the pain and the recovery and the, and the memory of that and the daily existence with that will be this reminder that you are mine and you need to do this to keep my law. If we stayed in the Old Testament, if we kept reading, we would realize that God has a lot of laws in the Old Testament. In fact, you can even find whole chapters about all of the laws that God's people had to keep. What God instituted in the Old Testament was a set of rules that you had to follow. It was specific. It was detailed. It was nuanced. And it was hard. 
God had these laws, these laws of purity and these laws of obedience. And you could do some things on some days and, and other things you couldn't do on other days. And there was this massive law that you had to keep. And you couldn't. You couldn't keep the Old Testament law. If you were there today, if you, you've, listen, you've probably broken Old Testament law between when you got up this morning and got here. I mean, there's so many laws. In the Old Testament, there were laws for everything. And God set that up on purpose. I promise this will make sense with the Judaizers. Just hang with me. God set up these laws for, for us to abide by and us to do that we would be in fellowship with him. But we couldn't keep them all. They're, they're too many. They're too specific. They were too hard. And we're sinful people. We're going to break the law. This is why we see in the Old Testament the sacrifice. That God tells his people, hey, you're not going to be able to keep the law. And so consistently and regularly, you're going you're to come to meet with me and you're going to take an animal and you're going to slit its throat and the blood's going to pour out and that's going to pay for the sins that you're there for. Okay? Now that sounds, that's, that sounds great. But the problem with the law is, you know, you slit the throat of the, the sheep or the, the ram and it would, it would cover you. And then you'd leave, and eventually you'd break the law again. And so you'd have to come back at another time, and you'd have to slit the throat of an animal, and you'd have to shed the blood, and you'd be covered. And then, and I don't know, I don't know if you've ever seen an animal get its throat cut, but it's horrible. It's terrible. It's loud. It's messy. It's violent. It's sad. It's a sad thing. And so... The people who are following God are in the Old Testament, and they are constantly, constantly being reminded of their sin because we're constantly having to sacrifice animals. And I think, if you just go with me for a second, that it would not take very long for you or for me if we were in those, in those days to be standing there among the, the blood and the muck and the mire and the odor and the grossness it would not take us long, I think, to stand there and say, God, is there not a better way? Can we not get a bigger lamb? Can we not get a more pure lamb? Can, God, can you not do something that once and for all would cover all of this? And of course, God knows that's what we're going to think because that's exactly what he does. He knows what he's doing. And the law, all through the Old Testament, God's people are crying out for a final, perfect lamb. One who will cover it all. One who will fulfill all the obligations of the law so that we will be right with God. Because we can't keep all the rules. God sends his son, Jesus. Jesus is the final, perfect lamb. He covers all of that. The Judaizers are telling these Galatian Christians, yeah, we know Paul's talking to you about Jesus, but you got to keep all the law. you got to keep all the law. This is, this is why Paul cares so much about this. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. There's another verse that's a little scary. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's What's he saying here? When you think you can keep all the rules, when you think you can make it work by, by the old way, the law, you're not living in the grace that Christ affords. Jesus has already told us, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. The second you start thinking 
that you'll get to heaven or you'll be right with God because of what you do, what laws you keep. The second you do that, you're denying what Christ has done. You're, you're, you're no longer walking in that freedom that Christ has already given you. You're walking in the law. And so Paul says, those of you who would be justified by law, you, you're, not, you're not in grace. You're not walking in grace. You're not walking as one who is free. Do, do we honestly for a second, honestly think we, we can do this? Do we honestly believe that when we stand before God, when we die and stand before God, that he'll welcome us into heaven because of, of the laws we've kept, because we've done all the right stuff? Most of us would say, no, we don't believe that. But we live like that all the time. We walk around. We get all kinds of spiritual, godly, biblical things that we do because we think, ah, I've got to do that. We live like that. Verse 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This reminds you and it reminds me that one day I'll stand before God and Jesus and Jesus alone will present me to the Father blameless, righteous. He just said we we wait for this righteousness that's coming. When I stand before God, Jesus isn't going to go, this is Todd. He kept all the rules. Let him in. He's not going to say, this is Todd. His family went to church. He's not even going to say, this is Todd. He really did love you and he really did want to be a good Christian. Jesus is going to say, this is Todd and he has accepted the blood that I've shed. I've covered him. He's covered by what I've done. That is what I'll go into glory under. That's the only thing I can trust in. It's the only thing that's going to matter. He says, circumcision, uncircumcision, it counts for nothing. Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled it. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have a bunch of laws you've got to keep. Jesus has said, I have come to set you free. I tell you what, that ought to make you so excited you can't hardly sit still. That you would be able to go before a holy, perfect God knowing you've done all this stuff. God knows what you've done. God knows what I've done. We're going to march into heaven and pretend like we haven't done it. He already knows. The only way we go into glory is by what the Lord has done. Where Jesus says he's mine. Verse 5 reminds us of this. 5 and 6 teaches us this. Listen, there is only one throne in your heart. There's only one chair in there. It's not a couch, and it's not a love seat, and it's not a family room. There's one throne in here. There's only one person who can sit there, and that's King Jesus. You, you can't go, okay, Jesus, you sit on the throne of my heart, but also let me give you all this other stuff I've done. Will you hold all this, God, Jesus, so that when we go for God, you know, you, when you go, will you go, oh, look here, Father, look at all the stuff he's done. We don't go to Jesus and go, hold on, Jesus, let me put all my works, let me put all my deeds in the, in the throne. And now, Jesus, you sit on top of all the stuff. I'm telling you, there's one chair. There's one chair in your heart. That's what Paul's telling you. You start, you start putting a bunch of stuff in that chair, it's not all it's not, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Jesus isn't number one in your life. He's like number one through a gazillion. He's, he's all of it. He's everything. There's it's no, it's no rule keeping that's going to get you in. And then, and then verse 6 tells us that, that there's this faith working through love, that that's the thing that matters. 
In Christ, all the rule-keeping and list-making and obligations, they count for nothing. His design is for you to live free so that you'll live out your faith through love. Because of your love and thankfulness for what He's done, you'll pray, you'll read your Bible, you'll serve one another. Not because you have to, but because you're so grateful. You're so grateful for what He's done. He's telling, he's telling the Galatians, it's not the law. The law's not going to save you, and the law's not going to give you freedom. The law's going to tie you up. It's going to tangle you up. So, here we go. Let's step outside this just for a second. So, all of that, all of those verses, what Paul is telling the Galatians and what he's telling you and what he's telling me is don't get it twisted. That, that, that you can follow the wrong thing. That, that there are things that would seek to, to twist you up and to, and to hinder you and to enslave you. And Paul is telling the Galatians, don't get this twisted. Be, please, you know, please clearly know what's really going on here. Know the freedom and grace that Christ affords through his blood. You don't get it twisted. That's what he's telling you and that's what he's telling me today. Next section, starting in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. We go even deeper here. We realize that Paul's talking to believers who've trusted Jesus. He's saying, hey, you were running well, but, but something or someone has hindered you from obeying the truth. I love that he says that. You, the truth, what's really true. You're being hindered from this. So, some of you may be thinking... Oh, don't worry, don't worry, Todd. I believe in the in the blood of Jesus. You don't have to worry about me. But Paul's obviously talking to Christians here. Like you're running the race, and there's there's stuff that can hinder you. You're not dumb. You know this. There's stuff that hinders you all the time. John ten ten says very clearly that we have an enemy. We call him the thief, and that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Satan wants to hinder you. He wants to put as many burdens on you as he can. And, and so Paul says, who hindered you? You were running, you were running the race. All this stuff is not from him who called you. This mode of living, this law-based living, this legalism didn't come from Jesus. Verse 9, out of the blue, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What? It feels like, okay, this is strange. We're talking about the law and we're talking about knowing what's true in the blood of Jesus. And then he talks about leaven. That's bread. Okay, this is, this is a bread word picture. If you're a baker, uh, you know this, that leaven means yeast. Okay, so if you make bread, um, you put the yeast in. He's saying that just you just need a little bit of yeast. And if you've ever made bread and put too much yeast in it, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's terrible. And so Paul says, listen, the, the, the little bit can, can permeate everything. And that may feel a little strange. It may feel like a left turn. But think about it. So Paul says, you're running well. Something has hindered you. And then immediately says, hey, a little bit goes a long way. But Paul, again, is trying to tell us that, that this law-based living, this legalism, this trusting in anything except the blood of Jesus, even just a little bit, has a tremendous impact on you and me. It'll, it'll, it'll ruin the whole loaf. Too much yeast will ruin the whole loaf. You start believing just a little bit of this works-based stuff, It'll mess you up. It will permeate every aspect of your life, your marriage, your job, your kids, your parents. That workspace thing is insidious, and it will creep in anywhere it can, and you'll find yourself living for all the wrong reasons. 
He's going to talk about the bread again in a second, or he's going to refer back to it. Verse 10 through 12. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Okay, there's a lot going on there. So Paul starts with this amazingly hopeful thing that says, have confidence that the Lord's going to help you to take no other view. There's so much hope in that. Paul isn't depressed. He's not discouraged. He's hopeful, and he has confidence in the Lord that, that the Galatians, that God will protect them and help them and will help them get their minds right. Paul's not afraid of this, and I'm not either. So one of the beautiful things about being in a Bible church, when we go verse by verse by verse, we are not scared of the hard passages because God has told us that he will help us to understand. That if you get a text and you're like, God, this is hard, God will be faithful to help you. And, and Paul says, you're going to take another view. I have hope that in the Lord you will take another view. So there's hope here. There's also trust here. So he says, the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul isn't out for vengeance. You don't think, you don't think Paul could have named names here? He, he might have known who was doing all this teaching. He might have known the Judaizers. He might could have named them. But he's not out for vengeance. He says he'll bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul is not worried about all the bad guys. I'm not worried about all the bad guys. We didn't, get, we didn't come here today to try to come up with a list of everybody who's teaching us wrong, right? God will take care of that. So Paul tells the people, I have hope for you, and I trust that God's going to take, take care of us. And then I love the logic, okay? So he says, remember, hey, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being removed, uh, persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. It's kind of a weird phrase, but there's a ton of logic here because here's what was happening. It's believed that the Judaizers were telling the Galatians, they were spreading rumors about Paul. But the rumor they were spreading about him was that, hey, we know this guy preaches this Jesus thing. We know he's preaching the cross. But don't worry, he also believes in circumcision too. We believe that's what the Judaizers were saying, which is a brilliant rumor because remember, Paul used to persecute Christians, right? Paul used to keep the law. And so the Judaizers are like, hey, don't worry about it. We know he's preaching a lot of the cross. Don't worry. He's still one of us. And at the same time, anytime Paul shows up, they attack him. And so Paul is telling the people like, hey, wait a minute. If I'm still all about circumcision, why are they attacking me? I've just told you I'm not for circumcision. So there is this offense. There's another offense. Because you know you know what's going on here. That if they were this upset, that they're upset because I'm preaching something other than circumcision. I'm preaching the cross. And then this um, last statement in the section that says, I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. There are two... Uh, prevailing thoughts about what Paul means here. If you do any research on this, and I think they're both absolutely true. So so one thing that you can glean if you've been in the Galatians study is Paul obviously cares about the Galatians. I mean, he's been writing them and encouraging them and loving them and praying for them. And so um, it would make sense that Paul would would wish for this. Hey, the, the people who are attacking you, the people who you are hindering you, you know, I wish that they would be incapacitated. Uh, I 
I wish that, that they would stop. I wish that something, te- you know, something awfully serious would kind of prevent them from doing this. Emasculation is awfully serious, by the way. I mean, this is, this, is a, this is a pretty zealous thing to say. And the other prevailing thought, which is helpful for us, is that in this day and age, there were still eunuchs. There, there were still religions and there were still people who would castrate themselves to be priests. That still, that still was happening. So, so the second thing Paul's saying is like, hey, you, you guys who would attack and who would lift up the law and you who would lift up circumcision, I wish you'd just go ahead and finish the job. I wish you'd just go ahead and go all the way. I mean, if this is really what saves you, why not keep cutting? Right? I mean, it, it, makes, it makes sense. But I think there's a third thing here. And this is me. This is Todd. I'm, this is my thing. Okay? So... On this, you can send me the mean email, okay, if you want to. But I think there's a brilliant poetic device that Paul is using here. Is that he says, as he's saying, I I wish that they would be stopped. I wish that they be prevented. It should not be lost on us that that the discipline or the punishment that he's come up with is involved in the same area of the body as the circumcision. It does feel like he's talking about the logical extreme. It's a beautiful thing to do poetically as a writer. Because here's what I think we can glean from that. Paul has just said that the thing that the thing that saves you has has got to keep you. Right? So the the law, he's telling you that to follow the law will end in misery. That to follow the law is this beautiful thing. To reference the Judaizers and say, and if this is the beginning, this is the end. The law will lead to destruction and misery and sadness. I, I love that. It's so good for me to know the law can be comforting. I can get I can get comforted in keeping all the rules. You can do that. We can sort of go, yes, I did this and I did that and I did this, and it can be comforting. Paul's saying to follow anything other than Christ is going to bring you to ruin and pain. So if the first section is don't get it twisted, you know, the, the, understand what's true about Jesus. The second section, I think Paul would be saying to us, hey, don't take this lightly. Don't get it twisted, but don't take this lightly. These are hindrances that will come after you. You have an enemy who wants to stop you, who wants to distract you, who wants to hinder you. It is a serious thing, but God will help us. But but Paul's telling us not to take it lightly. Um, just real quick. So one of the things that I love about Bethel is our commitment to theology. So I've been here almost nine years, and I love how much we love trying to know God and understand God and, and, and study and, and Scripture. But I will, I will be honest with you that theology is not a love of mine. I am a touchy-feely guy. Like, if, if you wanted to talk about God... I'm the guy who's like, hey, let's just get milkshakes and talk about our feelings. That's me. Like I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not prone to open up all the theology books. I'm just not. I, that's just that's a struggle for me. It's why I'm so glad to be here, because Bethel is constantly, as a church, helping me, informing me, and teaching me the value of this. So I'm grateful for it because I need it. I'm not good at it yet, but I need it. And God's being faithful, and I'm glad to be here. Nine years in, I'm still not good at the theology thing, but I'm, but I'm trying, and, and, and God's helping me. But if there's any complaint that people would level against 
Bible churches. It is, you guys care too much about theology. You know, you're too worried about being right. You got too many people that you think are doing it wrong. You know, you guys all have this list in your mind of everybody who's who's false and, and, and all those. And, and I will admit, I think I know I can get like that. I, I know that I can be mean and I can get arrogant about theology. And so, so those complaints aren't unfounded, at least from, from my perspective, I, I know I can do that. But I do want to say this, and I think it fits with this, don't take it lightly. There are, for many of us, many of us have got um, books on our bookshelves and podcasts in our phones and YouTube videos we have bookmarked of famous preachers we like and conferences we go to and worship songs we go as we, we bump them as we drive down the road. Some of us have some of that stuff that are teaching us false things. But God, God, through Paul, is saying, don't take this lightly. The enemy wants to trip you up. Don't take it lightly. I want to trust in the blood of Jesus alone in any voice that's telling me Anything other than that, I got to be on guard. So don't get twisted. Know what's true, but also don't take it lightly. Almost done. Verse 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Christ sets you free. So here we go in verse 8. Paul again reminds hey, you were called to freedom. But only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Freedom, the freedom Christ gives you is so that you can serve one another. See, the law is all about you. When you keep the law, that you're worried about you. And you're walking around like, hey, I think I did this right. Did I read my Bible today? Because I don't want God to be mad at me. Did I sign up for that mission trip? Because I, yeah, I, I want it to look like I really am serious about this stuff. When you live by all this kind of legalistic stuff, it's all about you. The law leaves very little time for thinking of one another. It makes me think about um, last week, um, this terrible storm that came through the Canton area. And so there's this video making the rounds. You've probably seen it on Facebook and stuff, but um, of this vehicle that's overturned and it's in, looks like a ditch or a waterway of some kind, and there are children in the vehicle. You might have seen it. It's upside down, and there are all these people um, working frantically to get the doors open, get these kids out, very small children. Um, and they can't because the water is flowing so strong, and they can't get the doors open, and they're screaming for help, and they're yelling, somebody call 911, somebody help me. And one guy's yelling for a knife to kind of cut one of the, the seatbelts. You can find the video, and it's it's a hard one to watch. I mean, it's scary. Even towards the end, you hear people just praying out loud that they get these kids breathing again, right? So this is this amazing video of this thing. But if you go back and watch it today, there's, there's something that you may not have noticed, and I didn't notice it right at first, that in all of this... Screaming and pulling doors and cutting and CPR and all this stuff. Listen, there are, there's lightning everywhere. You can see it on the video. Like, this storm is not gone, okay? I mean, they're in the midst of it. It is raining. It is flooding. There are, there's lightning striking all around them. And none of those people seem to have any care for their own safety. They're, nobody's cowering. Nobody's saying, well, let's wait until the, 
lightning stops and then I'll go get in that giant wet vehicle and try to save somebody. This is a beautiful picture of what Paul's saying here. When you're set free, when you're not tied up by the law and you're not thinking about yourself, your focus is all this need. Like, oh my gosh, they're so tied up. Oh, my friend, they're so enslaved by legalism. Oh, this, this, this sister of mine is dealing with such shame that just will not let her go. When you are free in Jesus, you're free to serve. That's what Paul's telling us. You don't use your freedom for yourself. You use it for other people. You want to help them. You want to unyoke them, as it were, when you are free. But the last verse, Paul ends talking about biting one another. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is actually hearkening back to the yeast thing in verse 9. Remember that, how a little bit of yeast goes a long way? When the law creeps into a church, just a little bit, or a family, or a relationship, it, it can permeate everything. And when the law seeps in, you will start to bite each other. We'll start to bite each other. Because if you sort of appoint yourself this, this, I keep the law, then all of a sudden, well, you're the judge and you're the jury and you're the edu- executioner and you're sort, of, you're sort of looking, oh, they're not keeping the law, they're not keeping the law. And, and before long, you'll start, you'll start biting a little bit. You'll start, hey, they're, they're, they're not keeping the law. And Paul says, watch out. Because you'll start biting somebody, and pretty soon, somebody will find a law you didn't keep, and they'll bite you. And then, somebody else in church will see they bit you, but they agree with you, so they'll bite somebody else and say, can you believe that they bit them? And then that person, and it can permeate an entire church. Look, East Texas is full of churches. You can't drive 10 yards without seeing one. They're everywhere, right? But just spend a Saturday driving around for a couple hours, and look how many churches are boarded up. Look how many churches are barely hanging on. I don't know what goes on in every church, but I'm going to tell you something. When the law seeps into a church and everybody starts biting each other, eventually you get consumed. That's what Paul said, you get consumed. The law will permeate and it will consume you and it will consume your brothers and sisters. And before you know, you will have boards over the windows of your church and you will have people who will never come back because the law came in and it just wreaked havoc. So what's he saying? So, so if the first section was don't get twisted and the second section is, is don't take it lightly, the, the third section is don't close your eyes to this. Don't close your eyes. It's easy to go, okay, I want to live in freedom. I want to work on me. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. When you live in freedom, your eyes are open to all of those people who are hurting and who are in need. It's open, just open to all of that. Don't get twisted. Don't take it lightly. And don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. I'll end with this. Years ago, uh, I went to a concert with a friend. It was in Dallas, but it was in a, uh, it was like in a little coffee shop. So it wasn't like a big like stadium we'd been before. Okay. And so we drove to Dallas and uh, he was driving. I was in the passenger seat and we went and ate somewhere and we were running a little late, not too bad. But you know how when you don't know where the place is, you, you just feel later than normal. You're just like, they're not going to let us in. You know, you're just so stressed out. And so we were trying to find this place. And my friend was driving pretty fast. It was a Friday night. It was in Dallas. 
and his plan was just to stay on all these feeder roads, right? Just to just to bypass all the traffic and and just shoot down sort of the side of the of the main highway to try to get to this little coffee shop where we were going. But the problem with that is it's Friday night in Dallas, and so off the feeder roads there's all these other roads, right? And so there are people trying to cut across and get onto the freeway, and there are people trying to you know, turn right on red. And so my friend is just you know, racing through, he's just zipping through, and all the all the cars that are trying to pull up they're on the right side, so I'm worried because it would hit me and not him and so we're driving and he's doing this thing that is is so frustrating to me so he's driving you know he's just going and and a car will kind of ease up and he goes no and we just pass by okay and so we, we're driving and there's a red light he'll be uh-uh and and and, and so i it's so frustrating because i was like dude you're not a wizard like you can't like you have no you, you know and then I think, well, maybe he's doing it to be funny, and maybe, you know, maybe it's just a control thing. And it was days later when I realized that my friend was just—he was just being watchful. That's just what he's doing. Now he was saying it out loud. Not everybody says it out loud, but he was literally going, "That thing right there. I gotta watch that thing right there." Oh, I got—I got my eye on that. Let me tell you something. And what a helpful image for us as Christians. I'm going to tell you, the law will try to get you. The law is going to try to get some of you today. You know, my prayer is that you might be like my friend. And you go, that's law. I see it coming. I see it coming from 20 yards away. Maybe as you deal with your children, maybe you've got children. Maybe your children are struggling. Maybe your children feel like they, they can't measure up and they can't do it. What, what a liberating thing to look at your kids and go, baby, no, that's law. We, that's, that's not how we live. That's law coming after you. Maybe you're in the midst of some marital stuff, and maybe one of you just needs to go, that's law. We're not, we are not going to let that sidetrack us. In just a second, we're going to close, and we're going to do it a little bit differently, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you how we're going to do this. In a second, I'm going to have the, the band come up in just a minute or two, and um, I'm going to have them play. And But the thing is, um, I'm going to encourage you j- just to let them play, not, not sing along. The band's not expecting you to sing along. And we're just going to use a couple of choruses. They're going to sing the chorus of that song we sang a while ago, Cornerstone, Christ Alone. They're just going to sing it over us. And we're, I want to encourage you to, to pray. Um, and if you're lost, if you don't know Jesus, um, I want to tell you that Jesus wants to set you free. Um, if you're lost and you don't know Jesus, there's nothing you can do to fix what's wrong with you. Only accepting the work of Jesus can do that. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to pray if you don't know Jesus. And it's... So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you stand up or raise your hand or anything like that. But when the band plays and we pray, I, I want you just to pray something just real simple like this. Jesus, I don't know what's happening. Would you help me to know if this is true? See, because if you're lost, as I've been talking, you've been feeling like this weird thing. It's like, what is this? What, what am I feeling here? I'm going to tell you, I'm not trying to offend you, but what you're feeling is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you that when we pray in just a second, just say, Jesus, I don't know if this is real, but if it is, would you show me? Because I believe you will. I believe, in fact, that Jesus has people around you that will talk to you. You've got a neighbor or a co-worker or a family member or somebody who may be sitting beside you right now who you could turn to and go, I, I just prayed that Jesus would help me. And I bet, I bet you've got somebody next to you. Just pray, just that simple prayer. Jesus, help me know if this is true, because he will. He'll send someone in your path who can teach you that. That's what I want you to do if you don't know Jesus.
If you're a Christian, band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. If you're a believer in Jesus, and as I've been talking, you've been feeling like that, you feel that old yoke, you know, this is chafing you back there, and you think, ah, what do I, what do I do? What do I do? I've been following the law. I've been trying to get there on my own. I've been trying to trust in all this stuff. I'm, I want you to pray something really, really simple. And the thing that you're going to pray isn't a question. It's going to be a declaration. And it simply is this. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Now, that may seem like a simple prayer, but I want to tell you why you pray that. If you've got the yoke of the law on you today, you don't need me to come and say some special prayer over you, and you don't need to join a class, because guess what? If you're feeling the yoke of the law, I want to tell you something. You don't have the yoke of the law. That thing that you're feeling, that's, that's false. That thing that you've set on yourself, that's not real. You are covered by the blood of Jesus. And I know it may feel like a yoke. It may feel like a heavy burden. But I'm telling you that if you're free in Christ, that yoke is not there. It's gone. It's, it's, it was never there to begin with. You, you did that. You believed that you could work your way into God's good grace. And, and the simple prayer of thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Just that declaration, just that affirmation that, yes, it's Christ and Christ alone. It's my only hope. It's the only way you'll live free. It's the only way you'll stand before the Father. It's the only way. It's the only way to live. So I'm going to have the band sing, and we're just, we're just going to pray just quietly to ourselves. Just go before the Father. Let's silently pray and thank Him for freedom. Let's do it together.